Welcome to another episode of Dark Hammer, a Dark Days radio episode series about the worlds of Warhammer. I'm one of your radio hosts, Chris, and I am joined by podcast friend, uh, Sean. Um, you will be aware of Sean's work from previous things. Sean has been on the show before. We will link to the episodes for that. Um, and in this episode, we'll be talking about Imperial Horror, because I asked uh, Sean, who is a big fan of all things Wargaming and Warhammer, um, a theme which would uh, fit their interests and uh, fits their interests also in things like folk horror and horror in general, which is obviously our kind of bag, um, and really how we can explore that and gain inspiration from media and how that can thus influence um, our Warhammer RPGs from you know, 40k through, you know, main, we're mainly going to talk, I think, about 40k, but I think a lot of the things we're going to talk about will also fit whether you're talking about imperial horror of of the old world or the imperial horror of uh, the Age of Sigma. So it's all good. Um, before we get into that, we'll just do um, a quick introduction. So, Sean, if you want to just refresh people about kind of stuff you work on stuff they'll be familiar with and stuff that's coming out soon that you've worked on um under my dead name i was a regular contributor to many years ago now actually <clears throat> getting on for nearly 20 years ago i started yeah. I, was a, <laughs> I, I was a contributor to um 46 publications for the original version of what is now called chronicles of darkness um and but i haven't done that since 2010 i think my last mm, my last credit yeah. maybe 2011 i did a short story for them um and i have as as, as many of us who were in that scene at that time we have a complicated relationship with the work that was done there on account of many of the people we had to work with and things that came out about the people that we had to work with at the time um, oh yeah, well documented yeah. on Darker Days Radio. <laughs> yes, I have no doubt. Um, I've done a lot of critical work on television and film. Uh, I've written several books of non-fiction. The one that's done the best is a book called We Don't Go Back, A Watcher's Guide to Folk Horror. Um, you might have seen me again under my dead name on the documentary Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched. A History of Folk Horror, and the occasional um, Blu-ray and DVD extra coming up in the next year or two is going to have my face on. Um, so, yeah, I, I, and I sort of do those sorts of things as a hobbyist. Oh, I've also done some work recently, occasionally for Green Ronin, yeah. and all of my role-playing work in the last six or seven years has been in a handful, and I mean just a handful of things for Green Ronin's um, modern age system. Yeah. And um, upcoming is Cthulhu Awakens, which I did some stuff for. Um, however, the most recent role-playing publication that has a version of my name on it is uh, was actually um, written 20 years ago hmm. and was supposed to have been um, released in 2004. And recently... Got finally got its release, much to everybody's <laughs> surprise, and that was the Black Seal Volume Four. Um, right. And 
again, I have a complicated relationship with that since it's one of the first role-playing things I ever wrote professionally. But also, um, while it's fair to say pretty much everything I wrote for role-playing has been in some way a bit queer, um, this one was a bit queer using language and idioms and ideas that were perfectly okay to talk about in 2004, but now are a bit sharp intake of breath between the teeth. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like looking back at old World of Darkness stuff, isn't it? When yeah. Then, it, it seemed rather forward and progressive and those new ideas, but we've, we've evolved in our language and, sen- and our sensibilities since then. Things have changed. And, yeah. you know, 20 years down the line, I mean, when when I was writing that, The Mighty Boosh was on yeah. TV. And now yeah. that's on iPlayer. And most episodes have a flash at the front saying, this represents attitudes and language <laughs> of its time. Yes, yes. Um, and, and I think, so on the one hand, it's kind of a nostalgia trip. And on the other hand, it's kind of an... Oh no! Yeah, as well. So, I'm. Yeah, um, I hope none of them are listening because they're all really <laughs> nice guys. They're all lovely, <laughs> lovely guys. The Black Seal people. I did get the chance to um, look over, um, look over the proofs beforehand, and basically did some waving of hands and going, "Oh no, 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 no! That's got to change." <laughs> to some yeah. some of the most egregious bits that I'd written, um, but it's all my fault. Anyway, it's 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 my past coming back to bite me, and um, I, I hope it does okay. Anyway, I think uh, the Call of Cthulhu crowds are generally not bothered by progressive <laughs> politics. Like well, there's, there's, if it's Call of Cthulhu, there's 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 older, darker stuff to to contend with first. Even well, oh. yeah, uh, uh, you're right. So yeah, so Cthulhu Awakens. Um, yes, yeah, so that's coming from Green Ronin. So names like Malcolm Shepard, yourself, and a few others uh, using modern age system, but presented as its kind of its own product line. Presented as its own thing and um, tackling the issues of cosmic horror including all the problematic ones headlong. Cool. So there's a lot in it. I mean, you know, it's it's going to get the W word attached to it inevitably. I wrote a bit in it about how to deal with the fact that Lovecraft was a racist jerk. Um, yeah. <clears throat> because you got to. And, um, and also some of those stories are racist stories. You know, there's yeah. not... You know, um, we, we, we can talk about death of the author all we like, but um, you can still have the author being dead and, and, and have have it right there in the text. Yeah. And so dealing with the revisionist version of Cthulhu, where we can basically give everybody the right to be scared, um, mm. <clears throat> everybody gets to go mad, equal opportunities. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, that sounds great. I mean, I... Um... Uh, how how when is that expected to kind of start i'm landing? not sure it should be coming out sometime in 2024 i believe good okay cool great um other cool things i can talk about gaming news wise eldritch automata which is a year zero system rpg that is um mecha kaiju horror which obviously it's drawing from things like evangelion gundam 
Pacific Rim, et cetera, et cetera. That's 20% funded after a day. And that's one I've cool. worked on. So I wrote a section about it. I'm going to stay quiet about what section for now. Uh, get in the A for know- Chris. Hey? Chris, get in the A for. Yeah, right. No, <laughs> f- fuck no. Um, um, especially not, oh no, not in that setting either as well. It's still, it's still bad. It's still bad. Though I did, I did, I will say, I, I, try to jam in uh at least themes or at least suggest styles for the mecha so i could reference escaflone because i fucking love that anime's like mecha design that's that's fancy mecha it's a fancy mecha but i think it's originally started off as a it's not shown what's the other term for like fancy girl anime where it's much more leaning towards being a, a manga for 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 you know stereotypical girls in that sense than than boys um but yeah it's a great anime i like it um then the other thing is iron kingdom's deep wild which i also worked on is finally delivering to backers so i'm excited cool. about that and then other cool things that are out which are more even close then to the to obviously this episode series is uh trench crusade playtest rules are available they brought out some more so i'm finally gonna might i'll have a read and try and see what Spiridon is up to um so that'll be fun uh old world is coming soon and those boxes are big uh for bretonians and oh i saw very fancy aren't they we're looking at about 150 quid for that box of bretonians and 175 quid for the kemry and you Wait. know it's going to be about 250 quid's worth of stuff in there it, it yeah generally I mean, it's, it's 40 it's 40 skeletons or, or, or with spears 40 with bows uh 16 mounted skellies three chariots uh lich priest and some dude on a undead dragon that that's actually quite a lot of miniatures that's like a lot huge. of those are actually old miniatures put oh, back yeah. into production aren't they yeah like those kits those kits were basically new when i was working at gw ultranum so date that that was back in 2004 so yeah 20 years ago um Mm. (laughs) um, so i feel old um uh (laughs) that's just terrible though i did buy it with staff discount um (laughs) um but yeah i'm I'm mostly going to collect chaos army i think for old world because i because it'll be lower miniature count and i'm lazy um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I then might go completely crazy with doing some conversions and also you know the um what is it the you painted recently the nurgle lord the on harbinger Steed. of decay i'm still yeah. working on him i've nearly finished which is yeah. a throwback to a miniature that was out back in that 2003 2004 period yeah yeah until until the plastic one came out around the autumn they had it on fine cast yeah Yeah. so that will be that's basically what i'm looking at as the centerpiece for that army because i did have that miniature back in the day love Um, a decay yeah uh, on related notes as well there's gonna be a new part works for 40k called combat patrol so this is like the previous two but the difference is and i think this is really cool the it's called combat patrol because it will across the series you'll collect nine combat patrols so you won't collect Ooh. just two big armies you'll collect nine nine armies combat patrols nine thousand points worth of models it's i think that's pretty wicked like having you'll have a space marine one and then an orc one and then a corn one and then a 
Turned one and a gene stealer one, etc., etc. It's like that's and if you don't like them all, you could just split them with your mates. Like done. Um, plus, combat patrol might be the only way to play tenth edition sensibly and understand the rules right now. But that's my personal opinion. Um, <laughs> and then finally, Ulfen um, Khan is out, which is uh, um, what is it? City at the edge of death. So that's a setting book for Age of Sigma. Right. which is all about Khan, which is the setting for Cursed City. So in that book, you can play non-soul-bound Age of Sigma characters. So they're basically playing grim and dirty characters rather than slightly demigod-style kind of things. So Can you play a rat catcher, though? Uh, you could custom build something that's kind of like a rat catcher, but not... But maybe actually a bit more like... Showing capable. my age there. Yeah. Um... <clears throat> And then, obviously, at some point in the near future, we're going to do a stream playing Imperium Maledictum, which gets us back into our percentile 40k. Right, with right. all that stuff out of the way, let's get to the main theme of, well, main topic, which is Imperial Horror. Sean, what, how would you, in a short few sentences, say what what is imperial horror what do you mean by imperial horror um there's two sides of it one is the aesthetic which is essentially what i used to describe as leonardo da vinci with bondage gear yeah um of which um the originator i think we all know is um the man john blanche who has recently retired I got yeah. his. Um, he recently published a couple of art books. Um, I picked them up. They're very, very nice. Um, very scratchy and very sort of like a lot of his later sort of stuff. Um, it turns out he's um, he's actually got some problems with his hands. Yeah. As well. So um, actual fine, the sort of like perfectly polished paintings that he used to do back in the eighties aren't really something he's actually able to do anymore, really. But he can still he can still do a fantastic looking picture. He's got. He's still got it. It's funny you describe like Da Vinci with bondage because I think one of his kind of side hustle kind of of miniatures was something kind of just exactly that. They were uh, Femmes militant. That's the one. <laughs> That's the one. They I came believe, in like tin cans. Or, I like, Games Work. Yeah, I never got to see one. I was really sad about that. Games Workshop apparently made him shut them down. Wow. I heard. I don't Doesn't work from now. <laughs> but, <clears throat> yeah. Well, I mean. You try and find a femme militant figure on eBay, you know. Yeah. Um, which is another piece of Warhammer horror that we're not going to talk about too much. <laughs> but um, the other side of that is, of course, the lore side. Yeah. Which is something that's been hardwired into um, 40k, but also the fantasy versions as well since its inception in the 80s. I think it hit its full flower in third edition of fantasy battle and first edition of warhammer rogue trader mm-hmm. um and and then which which happened to coincide with the point where i as an impressionable tween first came into contact with warhammer and you look at the rogue trader book and some of the stuff there there's uh, i think the thing that makes the aesthetic work is the fact that they take a sort of 
they take a sort of sprinkling of future dystopias, particularly from British pop science fiction. Um, 2000 AD is a specific one that gets picked up on. Um, but also, you know, American stuff like Dune, that's, that gets a bit, bit of a, bit of a look-see, um, a few other things as well. And it takes that dystopian stuff. And I think the thing it gets from 2000 AD is that it takes the dystopian horror stuff and it pushes it so far that it's almost comedy. Yeah. And some of it is tongue in cheek. And I'm sure that you have had in your career as a podcaster many discussions about how satirical Warhammer 40k was when it started and how satirical it might be now. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 interesting where we are now with it. It's it's satire is it's still there. It's a bit more hidden under layers of commercialism because that's it is occasionally you get stuff that comes out where you see it like that aesthetic that john blanche sort of like so dark it's silly aesthetic comes out like Mm. for example was it the sidonian scatros um Ah. the um who is the adeptus mechanicus sniper with stilts oh yeah, yeah yeah That guy, and he's got like big, big sort of grim dark goggles, like loads of them all over his head, and he just looks, and 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 a horribly suggestive tail thing as well, and he just looks completely ridiculous, and at the same time so wonderfully exactly like something that John Blanche would have drawn. Um, yeah. On the other side, you go to Sigmar actually, and we mentioned the uh, Harbinger of Decay, but one of the other Harbingers is the Rabble Rouser. Mm. It was basically like a sort of, which is ridiculous. It's basically sort of a guy waking up the sort of fantasy versions of kaiju's, trogoth kings and stuff, and by basically just sort of a little grot who's going around yelling. And yeah. that comedy is still there, and that comedy is kind of vital for it because a lot of popular science fiction is very hokey. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. very silly. I. It's. I mean, you look again. British science fiction has not really impinged much on Warhammer 40k, but Doctor Who. It's interesting that during the Russell T Davis era, that hokiness was basically pushed right up. So you had um, entire. And it's interesting that Rus- Rusty has um, done stuff based upon 2000 AD and related stuff by people. So like, um, there's Gridlock, where he basically had a whole bunch of characters which were deliberately intended to recall 2000 AD characters in the different right. cars in the in the giant alien traffic jam that's being fed on by crabs because why not yeah and then recently the star beast the 60th yeah. anniversary one is just a straight the the alien plot of it is a straight adaptation of a pat mills comic <laughs> right <laughs> from 1979 Wow. Beep the Meep looks exactly like the Beep the Meep from that, as drawn by Dave Gibbons in <laughs> Doctor Who Weekly many, many years ago. Wow. Um, so you see that. Um, and you see that in... So, so Judge Dredd is like, you know, the classic example... I mean, he's basically a precursor of Warhammer 40k in as much as he's not the good guy. Yeah. But everybody loves Judge Dredd. He's exactly, basically a yeah. precursor of the space marines. It's interesting that the adaptors arbitates the judges, 
in the original Rogue Trader were intended basically so you could use your line of Citadel Judge Dread miniatures in the game. Yeah. Um, you have again Pat Mills Nemesis the Warlock, where you have um, a far future Earth Imperium who are hideously repressed and led by a sort of pseudo Catholic um, hierarchy who exist entirely to exterminate aliens. Yeah. You know, um, and there's, there's, there's other things. Um, Bad Company is another 2008 strip, which I think was pre, pre-dated um, Rogue Trader by a year or two. And again, you've got um, Earth doing a pointless, endless future war that's destroying itself. You've got an unknowable aliens, and you've got ridiculously unreasonable bureaucrats and it's written by Peter Milligan, who's actually, I think, probably my favourite comic book artist because I'm the sort of person who has a fa- comic book writer, sorry, kind mm-hmm. of sort of person who has a favourite comic book writer. But yeah, he uh, and and it's 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 tremendous stuff. Um, Bad Company. Um, although many years later they did a sort of latter day third part, which wasn't so mm. good. You know, they... it's it's good that you, I mean, obviously, Judge Dredd, I think is is so I think. Is it's I think is is so important to the forty k kind of DNA because if anything, even ne- modern Necromunda now I think is more Judge Dread than it's ever been because yeah. of the sheer the sheer amount of stuff that there is now in Necromunda is huge. Like and I guess compared to what little bits we ever had, like the Ash Waste is now it's the cursed earth. It's the cursed earth. It's 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 that you've got the nomads. Um, We've now, you know, I know we've got, we don't, we've actually, we're, we don't just have judges anymore. We've got like, we've got, Ar- we've got the Arbites and we've also got the, um, the Palanites and, and, and the enforcers. Yeah. The, pa- the Palanite enforcers. And they, and it's quite funny actually talking about them because knowing that you can have different flavors of enforcers in different parts of the Imperium. So there's the, um, they're, they're called the, I think, they, are they called, I want to say they're called the Mags in Imperium Maledictum because they're, they're born out of the remnants of the crusading Astra Militarum forces once they've taken over a planet mm. and then they create their planetary defense force and then they have to go, oh, we need a police. And so that's where the enforcers get born out of that. But yeah, 40 uh, Necromunda has, I think, quite a good few miniatures which also hark back to the... The satire, like again, there's like um, not a rabble rouser, but he's a, a propagandist. Uh, he's got big, big bellowing speakers oh, and like speakers, TV yeah. Um, and then you've got the horrors of you know your backstreet doctors, you know, with your mad docs. You've got the, you've got, and again, very much like in Necromon, uh, sorry, in Judge Dredd, um, with uh, how especially in the in the recent film where they talk about like you know, getting the sending the bodies to recycle that happens in Necromunda with the, mm. the 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 awful horror of it's soylent green as people it's it's uh starch um and i think it's interesting you start from there that maybe it's it's that law and order element which before you even and uh, uh, coupled with religion and faith and 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 thus how all of that together works towards that xenophobia and bigotry um, is key to this imperial horror. Because if you didn't have the faith part, it would be very much like, I don't know, um, picking a film here, um, 
equilibrium, which is all very oh. much like. Yeah, but the, you understand the visuals. It's just yeah. bare concrete, or it'd be modern. It's or it's the modern Dune films, which, while I like the film, is again compared to Lynch in Dune, is very slabs of concrete. It's very beige, isn't it? I, I was interesting that some of the spaceships in um, in Denis Villeneuve's Dunk, which Dunk, I yeah. can't <laughs> not call it that. I can't unsee the poster, um, but the spaceships in Dunk look very similar to Chris Foss's um, concept designs for Hodorowsky's uh, attempted version of Dune oh, right. back in the 70s, which, of course, in you know the times of legend, was the reason that Alien and Blade Runner got made, because all the people who worked together on those on Hodorowsky's Dune, which never got made, um, then went to Luda. And Chris Foss's concept designs for Hodorowsky's Dune look very much like the ones in Dunk, but the difference is that Foss's designs. Well, you know what a Chris Foss spaceship looks like, right? It's it's in B. It's it's the color of a hornet. It's like yeah, reds yeah. and blues. They're all brightly colored, and essentially why just, not? It's in space. <laughs> yeah, they just dip them in Vettel, you know, for, yeah. for dunk. Um, and that's interesting, isn't it? And I think you've got a point there because the grim dark thing, because it's got that ornate Catholic stained glass kind of look, admits. It emits bright colours, even if those bright colours are of a limited palette. Yeah. There are lots of reds and that sort of thing. Um, lots of reds and yellows. Um, I, I recently um, did some experiments painting in the Zorn palette, which John Blanche is quite fond yeah. of, um, where you just you have yellow ochre, vermilion or cadmium reds, titanium black and ivory white, and you can basically make an entire palette from those including things that sort of read as close to blue or green yeah. in the context of the other things because of the way that R.I. Um, reads colours. You know, yeah, you know yeah, the, sure. the classic thing about the, the meme about the dress. Is yeah, it a blue exactly. dress or a gold dress? Um, and you sort of see that colour scheme, I think, is very much a thing that makes Warhammer its own. Going back to the point about law and order, though, because I've digressed. Yeah, that law and order thing. I mean, Necromunda as it is now, obviously harks back from Necromunda of the nineties. Yeah, but that was a different beast. And of course, in the middle of that, just for a couple of years, Games Workshop did Inquisitor. Yes, a game which was both completely unplayable, but which produced also some of the bleakest lore that Warhammer had, including the Enforcers. It's the yep. first appearance of the Enforcers. It's the first appearance of the Death Watch. It's the first appearance of the... Death Cult Assassins. Death Cult <laughs> Assassins and the Arcoflagellants. Yeah, there's, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's some of the, some of the grimmest, grimmest um, parts of the Imperium I think we can ever imagine essentially got birthed in that book. And, and, and it supplements. Persist, and it supplements and persists today... In, in in some respects, in, in pretty much as they are with the modern sisters army, you know, you have plenty of arcoflagellants and the um, penitent engine, which is this nightmarish you know, thing, nightmarish kind of yeah, uh, nerve induced horror of the victim as it wails around killing people to try and to give itself respite from the pain that it's been delivered. Um, but yeah, that book is that book is iconic, and I feel is key also for like again further 
also elaborating on the the tensions in the Imperium with respect to how its population at all levels have to relate to the 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 ecclesiarchy because i think before then we just knew it was the ecclesiarchy there's the god emperor they believe in the god emperor but once to some extent i think it really started getting its claws into the gaps and going well actually it's 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 worse than it's a lot worse than that and there's a lot there's many more gaps and tensions and and heresies that we weren't originally kind of aware of yeah, I mean, it picked up on a lot of the stuff from Rogue, Tra- the original Rogue Trader book, which yeah. was never actually drawn from. So you had things like in the original Rogue Trader book, you have like the Emperor's Golden Throne is powered by by millions of psychics who basically have their souls sucked out and then they're rendered into psychic stuff that's turned into bullets in psych-out cannons. Yeah, and things like that, psi cannons and things like that. You have um, astropaths and navigator families in that original Rogue Trader book, and they didn't really appear for a long time. You've also got the first Sister of Battle, although it was well into second edition before the Sisters of Battle actually got an army and stuff. But the first Sister of Battle is um, in the back of the book with a two-page spread, <laughs> including half a page sidebar of law um shooting shooting up a rainbow warrior wow which is <laughs> um and in that particular original piece of law the sisters of battle the adeptus sororitas are basically described as a female chapter of space marines yeah Hmm. It's almost like we need. To, I, I mean, I've always again. This is like again. It's a bit of a tangent to talking about the imperial horror, but also the thing which the 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 thing about space marines, and I've said this before, is that they they're akin to to me. They're akin to like how groups in our world turn children into soldiers by yeah. molding them and torturing them and indoctrinating them, and and that's all they know. And furthermore, when you think about their angel, the, the fact that space marines are meant to be angels of the emp, then in some respects they're more akin to uh, to um, uh, what is it? Not angels. What's the children of it? Nephilim? Uh, right. Yeah, the oh, angels and, and the the children of angels and, and and people, because then they they they're not really of any gender in because the the way they've been shaped and made, the reasoning for it, their their role removes the necessity of that being key to them so that's why i kind of like well why can't space marines actually be taken from from all of all humans because the process of making that person into a space ring strips so much of what makes them a human in the process so why does it matter i think space marines are basically the end end result of fascism yeah i, I mean it's why fascists really like space marines and ironically <laughs> yes. But they are that very much that sort of idea of perfect masculinity unsullied by actually things like breeding or mm. sex or anything like that. They're, they're so straight, they actually come out yeah. the other side and they're a bit gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they don't realise it. <laughs> um yeah. It, it's this, I remember someone telling um, a guy I know from Dublin telling me that an Irish homosexual is um, someone who prefers sleeping with women to going out drinking with the guys. And, 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you could sort of see that sort of thing with the Space Marines. They're off doing guy stuff so completely that they no longer see. Meanwhile, you've got the sisterhoods who, of course, are the other side of that sort of sexless thing who are nuns with guns. Yeah. Exactly, right down to like having fleur de lis on their on their breasts. Um, which I look, you and I both love the iconic John Blanche portrait <laughs> of Canon Esperidian, right? Yeah, I have it I have I have I have that as a print on my wall. <laughs> right. I mean, why would you not? But at the same time, fleur de lis titties. It's just, yeah. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, but to keep getting us back on track. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> it's cool. No, it's cool. Um, I mean, this is this is why this could turn into a whole multi-part episode. <laughs> hilarious. Um, just ranting and ranting, and that's what this is meant to be. That might make it. That might be better as a transition into Realm of Fire. Uh, just having you back on to rant about war games in general and right iconography. But anyway, so with Imperial Horror, do you think you know it? I think we've we, we kind of got to the crux of the point, which is that. Without that kind of baroque, kind of um, that baroque baroque imagery that we associate with Catholicism or similar kind of monotheistic yeah. religions, um, without that, what we what we recognise as Warhammer forty thousand, that kind of imperial horror, would not be imperial horror. It would be it would It'd just have be religion. fascist. It'd just be fascist in space. Um, yeah, they'd be a bit. They would look a bit boring. Um, like I said, referencing the <laughs> film, God of film, Equilibrium, mm-hmm. it would just be really boring. It would be, it would be, it would be how communism didn't communism, yeah, you know, be like looking at some of the churches in communist Russia where they try and like they did, there were some examples and they would try and get rid of the ornateness of it. And it was just, but even then they didn't even want religion. They just, I mean, it's more like what they did in, um, in England in the 17th century. Yeah. And they got rid of all the Catholics and like tore out all the stained glass windows, whitewashed the the the, the walls, but all of that. So then, so then I guess so. The point we get with Imperial Horror is that there has to be that aspect of of grandiose faith, and also faith that is, uh, I guess, is um, the hypocrisy of it, because of yeah. course you have the people at the top that. Are saying venerate your your god emperor, follow these rules. All you should do is work and pray. And at the other end, you've got everyone that is given um, who, if they can pay enough or they're good enough or of high enough breeding, are allowed to you know ignore many of those rules of the religion and the faith of that time. And then around that, you have the law and order, which is utilized to to uh, enforce that society, so it operates and and should follow those rules but you know not always and that gets us then that leads us to the point where you've you've got this topic of tithes and accountancy because that gets us into the whole horrific thing of how every planet has to provide you know a ship comes by every hundred years and collects billions of people and tons and tons of weaponry or grain or or whatnot to continue this war engine and the fact that the only way the Imperium operates is that there is this insane bureaucracy which is kept going by these uh, lobotomized people turned into normally, you know, robot cyborg um, to keep account of this. But even the accounts don't make sense because they're out of date before they're written. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, and 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 that, but 
the the mixture of that with a sort of Catholic looking hierarchy actually allows you to come up with concepts that are even more horrible. Yeah. So I believe that this bit of lore isn't actually official anymore. But back in an Inquisitor supplement, they basically said that, you know, like the little cherubs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They did actually make them out of like babies with their brains cut out in like the original <laughs> kind of like version, <laughs> which is ridiculous. And and again, you look at like the vast bureaucracy of it, leads to the sort of endless Kafka-esque unfairness of it all as well. And that's a big part of it. The fact that it's just so freaking unfair. It's unjust from the top to the bottom. And that unfairness sort of extends. So for example, um, when the Grey Knights first appeared. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you know when the Grey... In what book did the Grey Knights first appear? You know this. Uh, You're an expert. I'm not an expert. Um, uh, I honestly can't remember. Realm of Chaos, Slaves to Darkness. The very first uh, Realm of okay. Chaos book. And so you've got Slanesh and Corn lists for both Fantasy and 40k in that book. Yeah. And a Black Legion list as well. And you've got also... The Grey Knights and Ordo Malleus list. Mm-hmm. That was the first appearance of the Ordo Malleus as well. And um, in the law that suffixes that, it says you can have other Space Marine chapters and Imperial Guards coming along for the battle. You can have them as allies. But bear in mind that if you win, they're going to have to lobotomize all the Space Marines and shoot all the Imperial Guardsmen <laughs> at the end. Because they've witnessed demons. <laughs> because they've witnessed demons. And the only ones to get to live are the Grey Knights, no matter what. And it's just that's, so unfair, the idea that, you know, you just sort of... I mean, but that's, that's I think that's still kind of that, it's, I know it's that's mostly not said out loud in in current 40k, but I feel like it is, it is still kind of there under the surface, because the, a big point about 40k that is that while it is always war, so much of the the fighting takes place at the fringes of the Imperium, and the vast majority of the Imperial populace never hear or never even see the things that we consider commonplace in 40k the war game. Like the, the average Imperial citizen never ever going to see a space marine. They're, they're myth and legend. And that's why And if they see a Tyranid, then they're not going to see much else very soon. Exactly. And I mean, we get some of that in, um, is it, was it called Iron Within on Warhammer Plus, which was a computer graphics animated series, which was basically where there's a invading force, a um, of Drakari looking for some slaves. And the, the, the portrayal of Drakari is, is great and quite terrifying in their own right. And you can understand why you kind of get the feeling of why the Imperium has to be somewhat why it is when there are things even worse out there, like the Drakari. Because the Drakari are just like flat out evil, aren't they? They're basically... They're, they don't give a shit. They they will kill everything and anyone if it prolongs their own life. And if that means committing genocide and, you know, stealing people's souls and, and, and rendering people into mush to turn into, like, genetic soup for whatever, they'll do it. Um... But these poor imperial citizens, you know, because of that, that um, the fact that space marines are so mythical to put out a distress call, but they forgot who they were putting the distress call out to. Oh no! I didn't realise that the marines they'd called were no longer 
loyalist marines and so iron warriors turn up (laughs) and so yeah the iron warriors do kill all the drakari and then they kill all the natives but the planet is put to put to work for the purposes of chaos of course i mean but then also the fate of planets the exterminatus order Uh, yeah yeah the inquisitors you could like cool down and exterminatus i think um i was looking at some of the lore um, which I'm, I, I a lot of the more recent lore I'm not really familiar with. I did get the Leviathan box is the first. I bought the ninth edition rule book, but the Leviathan box is the first one that I've sort of yeah. like bought. And you know Same. that's got all all the stuff with the you know the Tyranid War and stuff, which is quite thrilling actually. It's quite a nice product for that respect. I quite you know I couldn't make head or tail of the rules, but you know I'm. <laughs> Tyranids are cool though. Tyr- cool. The Tyranids were cool, and like all the all the all the lore was good, and all the stuff about, and 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 they and they did the thing of like including Space Marine chapters you hadn't heard of, um, as well. Yeah, yeah, like they didn't they they didn't pick the favourites, which I think <laughs> was quite a quite a good um good point. But um, where am I going with this? Oh yeah, the Exterminatus. So I was looking up the lore of some of the characters, and as you, as you know, I've spent the last six months basically doing a project where I've been renovating and reconverting 54 mil um, Inquisitor models. Yeah. Um, which, and I, I was actually lucky enough. I did a few, and then um, a guy from Germany sent me a package wow. with a bunch of partial Inquisitor models, including an almost complete Battle Brother Artemis. Wow. I could have it bought just... one the other I could have bought one the other day off Gary Morley. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, they're, they're incredible miniatures. But yeah, yeah, but I was looking at Artemis's lore and Artemis is uh, obviously one of the iconic characters from the Inquisitor rulebook. Because like all the, the, I think it's fifteen of the characters in the Inquisitor rulebook all have names and lore. Yeah, yeah. Um, and some of the and and the models are, let's face it, of variable quality now. Some of them yeah. are better than others. Um, and some of them I had to do some work on. I had to, I, I wound up sawing up the arms and legs of the slick Devlin <laughs> and filling them in so his arms and legs will be of human proportions. Oh yeah, because he's proportioned yeah. like a twenty-eight mil um, heroic figure. Oh, weird. Which some of them okay. aren't. You know, yeah. compare the compare the battle cultists, the death cultists. Yeah, they're quite tall. Yeah. Um, yeah. and 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 Eisenhorn as well is also got the Cal the Cal Jericho model model for that scale was pretty great because I converted that into an enforcer. Right. Right. Yeah, I had the Cal Jericho model, but I remember years back I had it unpainted and I was very short of cash. <laughs> and I think around 2006, I was able to sell it on eBay for something like £200. Wow. It, it, there was a bidding war. I was lucky. But yeah, I, I can't imagine what a Cal Jericho would say. I, I had a look on eBay for some of the old Inquisitor models and I saw the Demon Huntress. Which was one that I'd always wanted, and someone has a brand had a brand new in box one for 175 quid. Buy it now. They recently wow. lowered it to 150. I have it on my watch list to see if they're going to lower it anymore. <laughs> but they're sitting at 150 quid for a brand new in box. Wow. So model. so Artemis, um, brave Artemis with exterminatus. He did an exterminatus. He's, well, he's a Death Watch Marine as yeah, well. Yeah, but he did an exterminatus. You know, wow. and he, he's one of like the four main leader characters because it's like him and then there's the three Inquisitors. Yeah. Eisenhorn, Tyrus and Covenant. Yeah. Who are all bastards. They're all bastards, yeah. Although Eisenhorn, Eisenhorn gets his own, 
is the one who got most traction. He's got his own novel series and everything. Well, yeah, he is. He is forty K's answer to James Bond. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Albeit with calipers and a guy, a guy with a demon bound inside him as a sidekick. But yeah, I mean, Exterminatus is a is a horrific kind of in its own right because I mean you're killing an entire planet, and then the the um the insanity of it is the lengths the Imperium will go to do that. Or I'd say the lengths the Imperium will allow... Well, how far the Imperium even allows certain Inquisitors to go doing that? Because I can't remember which one it is. It's Inquisitor... Uh, begin, I'm sure it begins with a H. It's like something like Hecla. Oh, um, is it is it the, the female Inquisitor with the hat? No, no, no it's not. Um, but there's, there's one Inquisitor who essentially has orchestrated how certain imperial fleets and forces are fighting were fighting the orc to bring the orcs in onto planets in the right places and to have their fleet in the right places to act as a buffer to the tyranids and then when you've got planets with just orcs and tyranids on it just doing an exterminatus on them blowing them up and creating a, essentially creating a a firewall a literal you know at regions of space that are completely dead, devoid of anything you know that the Tyranids want to feed on, and removing and and creating that, so they would go off and feed somewhere else. I don't know on the tower or and killing a bajillion innocent people. Oh yeah, and that's that's again that's the horror of the Imperium is that yeah it's and and this is something we've we've explained in the way you're when you're role playing characters who are of the Imperium is that being heroic in the Imperium is all relative it's all relative and you you can be the hero in in a very niche way like yeah you've saved these people but it's always the question of at what fucking cost and was that and was that or or, or is it because of how the imperium is that your your characters are able to and other characters that are around them are able to rationalize the horrors they commit in order to somehow give a brief respite against some even worse thing out there. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's just sort of bonkers. But to what extent are these horrors even worse? I mean, I know that they dialed back on making the Tau as cuddly as they originally were. (laughs) Yeah. Because the Tau were very briefly sort of presented as as the nearest Warhammer 40k had to goodies, and then they realised that wasn't going to fly. Yeah. Um, I, I think they're kind of kind <laughs> yeah. of in danger of going that way with the Votan as well. Uh, I, I think the Votan are, fortunately, um, they have the, the the AI horror of their, their, I can't remember what they're called, but they're like their... Of the their, kin. The yeah, because they're ba- they're basically f- they're fully functioning STC constructs, you know, that haven't degraded over time and fractured. They're full, fully running AI computers that know everything. And so, um, for the Votan, the the Votan essentially just you know meat puppets for that that society of of AIs that are out there in space for the Votan. Um, yeah, I mean Tau. I'm not too sure what the horror of Tau is right now. Um, I'm not up to date with what their horror is. Oh, it's just being like blindly like doing whatever they want for the greater good. Yeah, but what is that greater good? I mean, it, I guess, I guess I they, they are. Know. They are. That's 
they are the, the dunk to the Imperium. They are they are the dunk gene to the to the Lynchian gene. Oh, oh no, they've got those cool anime bodysuits. They'll they'll like go around in like in off-brand Gundams, sort of Aldi Gundams and sort of <laughs> Aldi Gundams. <laughs> and, um, so so um, yeah, I think I think. To sum up, there's a um, to sum up the the core thing there. Uh, first topic is the Imperium is Kafkaesque with a lot of um, you know Catholic kind of imagery and and I guess the society will happily commit actions where which would have been you know the same as like say back in in Middle Ages where where uh, crusading forces would happily just like destroy towns villages if it yeah. meant that it wasn't available for their enemies to take back and just... i mean simon de montfort's famous quote during the albigensian crusade um when someone said how do we know who's a heretic and who isn't um he famously said kill them all and let god sort them out <laughs> yeah exactly well there you go that that's the imperium in a, in in a nutshell that really is um but i then i guess the 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 thing that we can delve into a bit more is the horror associated with faith, because I guess this gets back to something which, you know, obviously you're very familiar with. with right, cults. yes. Is the cult of the Imperium and then all the other cults that kind of are still loyal, and then there's all the heretical cults. And I guess what what can we... What can we take from your understanding of how cults are portrayed in media? I think that's a really interesting point. And you gaming? Thinking about that, um, because in real life, you can see examples of this sort of thing. You can see examples of fringe religious groups that are accepted because they're useful. Yes. Um, So I think the probably the most dystopian large religious group in the world at the moment is the American evangelical movement. Yes. It's fair to say. However, what few people understand is that these people freely work alongside and accept the validity of Seventh-day Adventists, for instance, who are a Victorian sect. Hmm. Uh, my favourite thing about Seventh-day Adventists is that they grew out of a 19th century cult called the Millerites, who set a date and time for the return of Jesus to earth and the apocalypse to descend. And they all sat and waited, sold all their houses and sat and waited. And, you know, they're, they're tapping their watches. And it didn't happen, obviously. I mean, that's, and, a, that's, a, that's a perfect plot line there for a, for a 40k RPG scenario. Isn't, isn't it? it great? Yeah, I mean, you know, those of you listening at home can have that for free. But, like... The Millerites then decided that actually God was telling them that you shouldn't set the date and time for the world, So, but they could keep all their other weird beliefs. Like, for instance, the day on which you go to church, the Seventh-day Adventists are very serious about it being on Saturday. Right. Um, that's that. But there's lots of other slightly obscure things that they're into. They're a very odd group. Um, they called that, by the way, the Great Disappointment. <laughs> capital G, capital D. No lie. Brilliant. Um, anyway, after their great disappointment, but at some point between the 1980s and the Southern Strategy, which was when the Republicans allied themselves fully with evangelical Christians and got all the televangelists on their side, Falwell and Backer and all the others, Robertson, especially yeah. Robertson, actually. Um, and now Seventh-day Adventists 
are included among initiatives done by American Trumpist evangelicals, Mm -hmm. which is interesting because they are essentially the difference is, is that, okay, deep religious theory thing, right? There's a difference between a schism and a heresy. A schism is a group that do stuff differently to the main religion and don't bother with them generally, but they still believe in the fundamental basis of the main religion. So, So for example, Seventh-day Adventists still believe in the Trinity, Yes. Which is like the basis of like um, Orthodox Christianity, as opposed to Jehovah's Witnesses who do not. Yeah. And that's why they and evangelicals wouldn't talk to each other. Um, Mormons have. Well, I mean, Mormonism, um, the Church of the Latter-day Saints is entirely based upon fan fiction. So, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) I mean, I'm not not even joking. The Book of Mormon is (laughs) self-insert Bible fan fiction um, written by somebody who didn't know what biblical names really sounded like, but gave his best approximation of what a fake biblical name was. So he got these nonsense names all through it. Wow. It's it's amazing. Um, Yeah. But. Seventh-day Adventists, are, even though they came from the same milieu as the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Church of the Latter-day Saints, they get to be a cult that's accepted because they've got a couple of like the central points that they basically stick on the hills to die on. Yeah. So in 40k, you get things. And again, this comes from the Inquisitor, the, the kinky death cult assassins. Yeah. You know, um... I repainted my Kinky Death Art Assassins and I spent a solid week working on non-latex latex. latex. (laughs) I bet. (laughs) You know, you can see it on my Instagram. (laughs) They are quite proud of how they came out. They look better on pictures than they do in in the flesh, actually. Uh, They seem like, to to someone that collects Kingdom Death, Death Cult Assassins seem so, so, so bystanders. I I deal with dick monsters, but you know. I mean, yeah, Kingdom Death. I mean, yeah. (laughs) But then, I mean, but Warhammer 40k, partly because it is still marketed at 12 year olds. Can't do that. You can't do (laughs) that. But also, actually, that restraint allows them to get away with a whole lot more in different ways. But you got the Imperial cults, you've got the Kinky Death cultists, and in the original lore, Eisenhorn found these latex-clad, blood-drinking lunatics who he basically decided weren't heretics. Yeah. They were just schismatics, and therefore they could work with the Emperor. And so you get these cultists, or you get like the Adeptus Mechanicus, yeah, who exactly, actually yeah. are pretty heretical, but who, and have their own religion, their own sort of sect, but who nonetheless get included because they're just damned useful (laughs) they're they're vital they've made themselves important and that's that's where 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 you might come up with the idea of a blood cult of 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 an imperial cult a lot of these cults are uniquely terrible in uniquely different ways yeah and also you know if they're you know flounce around in latex kind of hot but they kind of just <laughs> but it's, it's, it's yeah. funny you say that it's funny you say it because it's also it's also because they're they're horrible in so many different ways and it's a question of like it's a question there's an element of do they stray too far and it's whether they stray it's that question i guess it's that question of if they stray too far that also opens up the the opportunity within those cults for 
truly I say truly terrible, they're all terrible already, but you know, we're talking chaos here and Jakari yeah. to and, and Gene Stilicult to insert themselves into those because you know, you can quite you can then easily see how what could initially be a schismatic cult of imperial followers yeah gets infiltrated on all levels both you know social physical biological by the genes of the cult and yet then still outwardly is seen as a cult to the god emperor but at at the opposite end of that spectrum you've got say um you've got you've got the redemptionist cult which is who are completely faithful you know that there's nothing chaotic about them or anything but they are just too they're too much of a problem because they are shouting and screaming and causing you know uprisings and and so forth all the and, time and, and wearing bonfires on their heads and they're, they're just too obvious and of course so, actually actually of course in the old days of the warhammer comic yes which was largely written and drawn by 2080 alumni yeah um the strip about the redemptionists yeah redeemer yeah the redeemer which i is the only it's the only one of the warhammer graphic novels i kept because <laughs> i'm very fond of it because it's hilarious but it was written by pat mills the creator of nemesis the warlock yeah. and essentially he wrote the redeemer as as essentially his character Torquemada, with a few more sort of like with the same lunacy involved, the same completely over the top lunacy involved. I think, I think the um, his what was it? Is his um, his little little fat sidekick? Uh, I can't remember right now. Brother something, but yeah. he eventually gets turned into a servitor at the end. <laughs> yeah, like... and and it's interesting because um, I know on the painting phase, I've not I've not read them myself. The Caiaphas Kane novel series. Mm. Apparently he goes around just constantly like he 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 he, he, he there's sections there's parts where he'll like completely you know be complaining about Sister Battle as God Emperor bothering so <laughs> you know or or is being quite you know misogynistic about Sister Battle and going like oh well you know but, <sighs> oh dear oh dear but I guess the point I'm getting that is the it's it, again it's interesting to show how those. You know, through different lenses, there are so many different lenses. These characters experience the Imperium, that have different relationships with their faith, and then we get to see that play out with all these cults and with the various. Um, well, the subsets of the Inquisition as the, well. The Inquisition itself have I don't know what the Emperor is. Yeah, know. and you have like the radicals and the you have the radicals and the conservatives and the subgroups within them, so the Amalapians and the the sort of people who think uh, it's okay to use Enos stuff. And then you also have the various um, religious uh, infighting historically within the 40k universe with um, is it it's uh, Vandir and Sebastian, I want to say Thor. Sebastian Thor. Uh, and that's essentially um, a war between, I mean it feels very much like Protestants versus Catholics. There's one, one guy who goes, I'm in charge I get all the benefits, and there's another guy going. That's not how you should be venerating the God Emperor. We're going to deal with and start a crusade. Yeah, and I mean, one of the the most interesting things about Inquisitor was that although they would later introduce a very few aliens mm. into it, so they they introduced there's 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 one tower, one crew, 
one random alien bounty hunter from a Xenos race that they've never seen the, before or since. Some Eldari um, sniper, I think. There's yeah. there's an Eldar Ranger. Ranger. Yeah. There's um a Gene Stealer. Yeah. And there's one Chaos Magus. Yes. But all the other characters are Imperials. And the general main kind of idea is that Imperial it's essentially different factions of the Imperium duking it out on a small scale. Yeah. I mean, and that's, and that's, that's, uh, that comes back to a point that you can actually, you can make with, um, and again, is total plot fodder for, for Imperium Maledictum, because how many of these conflicts uh, between different parts of the Imperium is simply down to bad bookkeeping and, and time and also, uh, time dislocations like because again you'll have crusading forces turn up well after a fight has happened or well before and because of that those that the issues of time dilation and and messages and the fact the imperium operates by the psychic sending messages back and that all gets garbled you can have fights between different planets different subsectors they're all part of the imperium but they just don't really know it and yeah. so some someone turns up and goes Guys, guys, why are you fighting? It's a war. It's the warring, you know. Um, mm. And that's um, and that's that. I do think that's like that. That it encapsulates the, the 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 madness of the Imperium. But also, I think coming back to the reason why the Imperium and faith and industry have to operate together, because if you don't have something to distract people, that is the opening for chaos to come in. Because then people will eventually take hold of technologies and various philosophies and xenos kind of concepts with them down to many armed emperors yeah i mean i mean the g-stealer cults are uniquely kind of horrid because essentially they utilize sort of the power of the people they start revolutions they make everybody's lives better they're unionists until the genes to, until the tyrannists come up, and then they're just like, yeah, essentially they're just setting people up so that they're basically ripe to be eaten. Yeah, they want a nice working society. Everyone's where growth is possible to make it the most, the biggest bounty for for yeah the to make it juicy basically. Yeah. Which and again is just completely horrific. It's so and... dark, you know. Even or like the Tau turn up, and sometimes the Tau rock up, and a planet essentially coexists peacefully with the Tau and is quite happy to be part of the Tau Empire and is fine. And then the Imperium come along and kill them all. Yeah. Um, so I think we're going to, we will go into our last segment and wrap this okay. up and mostly leave some, mostly we'll have ideas for something in future. Like I'm sure you have opinions on Drakari and, and how that mostly reflects to like certain types of horror as well. I, I um, we have such sites to show you. Oh yes. But yeah. Um, um, but, but I'm, I mean, I mean, we haven't talked about horror. <laughs> exactly, but yeah. we haven't talked about the ang- endless anguish of head tubes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> head tubes, Chris, head tubes. Right from the beginning, you had people with tubes sticking into their head, in the back of their head, in the side of their head, in their mouth. And no one's really sure what head tubes are for, right? You know, it's just like, it's the ultimate part of the grimdark aesthetic. You just, head tubes. I think it, it definitely, I think it visually just kind of reminds everyone that everyone is plugged into this, endless horrific industry and mm. 
if you're not being pumped full of some, you know, surely carcinogenic soaked nutrient soup that keeps you going until you die, then the tubes are going to suck out of you something that will be turned into a carcinogenic, carcinogenic nutrient soup for someone else. And your soul as well. Oh, oh, of course, yeah. Eventually your soul will go. I mean, if you're gifted, then the black ships have grabbed you already. But I mean, I mean, my, I, you know, I've got an Eisenhorn model, and uh, which I'm sure you, I think you've seen it. I, I occasionally yeah. I sort of see that you kind of look in on my Insta. But um, my Eisenhorn, he's got so many head tubes. He's sort of, <laughs> he's got all the head tubes. But yeah, you know, but... you know these people that got like a big corrugated tube sticking in their ear. It's it is um, a horrific idea, and I think actually that horror and apparently like in the latest, um, I think somewhere in the Leviathan book or it's in the Tyranid book, there's there are some like veiled references to the pandemic, and again, I think <laughs> tu- tubes down your throat um, are <sighs> evoke that kind of horror that the, your body is not your own anymore because something else is is you know breathing for you or. Yeah, it's just not operating for yourself, and then that is just the beginning because that's assuming you're still got your brain operating so that you're conscious and yourself. And then we have arcoflagellants and servo skulls. Oh um, god, arcoflagellants! And the thing which I find interesting about the 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 about skulls, and I think you could almost potentially um, rationalize why skulls are so prevalent in both like. Uh, as used for like cy, you know, robe as kind of they're not really cyborgs at that point. They're, they're just, just drones, housing. aren't they? They're, they're just, just like... but there there must be something, must be some sort thought process that bones still hold some element of like hu- that human spark that makes. Oh, it they're powerful. reliquaries, aren't, reliquaries, yeah. aren't they? Some of them are like the skulls of saints or anything like exactly. that. Exactly. Well, Which... yeah, the space rings walking around with whole skeletons on their shields. I mean, that's not so as archaic as you think. Yeah. Um, the idea of the relic. I, I was in New York in the summer and uh, my kids, I don't know why, wanted to go see the 9-11 memorial. Right. And next to the 9-11 memorial is an official souvenir stand that sells pieces of the flags that flew over the fire departments of New York. Wow. On 9-11. You can have a genuine 9-11 relic. I mean, that That's... is one step away from a finger bone of St saint sebastian uh, uh, you know you know what i'm saying yeah and it's also it's interesting because like i was watching channel 4 news yesterday and um they were talking about the i can't remember in which african country it was um but they were talking about this drug called kush okay and it's it's these dried leaves but mixed in with it so it's it's a narcotic yeah and it's highly addictive like it does things equivalent to like what spice does but mixed into it is along with a cocktail of chemicals is ground up bone fragments and my partner sam pointed out that's no different to what like the victorians used to do would be you know imbibing concoctions made with you know parts mummies people and mummies yes mummies yeah definitely mummies so and that brings us back to obviously corpse starch and i think there's this whole the imperium body horror there is definitely an economy of body parts being used in various yeah horrific manners whether that is to consume because you think it has because either it may or it actually does have some you know mystical supernatural benefit or it is just turned into raw food in the case of corpse starch 
or it's as you say it's reliquaries and 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 feeling that it's blessed by i guess the fact that it's you know either it's a a, a space ring hero or some some priest on who who is simply blessed because they come from a, a church world like the, that could be the only reason why that that bone is is considered holy is because the person mm. came from the church world. they may not have done actually anything good in their life they just came from a world that is considered blessed by by the god emperor i uh reminded um i i came up obviously i did i did the thing now that i got the leviathan box i did the thing that every 40k player does once in their life they made up their own space machine, space marine chapter. Okay. And I came up with the idea of the Emperor's Sorrow, who have a broken heart as their shoulder badge. Right. Because it's easy to paint, and um, you didn't want to make you know I didn't want to be like the Howling Griffins or anything like that. Yeah. You know? Um. But you know you have like a broken heart icon, and um, I had the idea that they're from a monastery world called Tristia where it always rains, but essentially. Their fundamental thing is that they're the they're the the imperial followers who represent the sorrow of the emperor for all the things that they've got to do. <laughs> they they are the ones who weep the tears of the emperor for all the people they genocide. Wow! That's but they still tough. genocide them. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. And that's a fun you know, fun and they world. keep 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 relics of the people that they genocide. And stuff like that, as the people who are martyrs for the emperor, you know, they're the people who enforce exterminatus orders, and uh, you know, yeah. So, would you say, I mean, thinking about the body horror of of 40k and the Imperium, mm. is that does that horror feel more real now to us than it ever did before? With the fact that we've got, you know, computer chips could be soon plugged in. Well, they are being plugged into people like to to repair nerve damage. I think that's that's some of that work's been done. But they're but also getting... be, Elon Musk is also killing chimps with them and stuff yeah. like that. Um, so I mean, that actually Elon Musk killing the chimps is a classic example of the sort of thing that you can sort of see that that's forty k happening right in front of you. The fact that it's just like this immense wastefulness. Except in 40k, they're obviously using Gran to do this. You know, they're using your mum to do yeah. this. Um, and you sort of see that the way in which Imperial characters, they do. I mean, you know, I was joking about head tubes, but like goggle eyes, you know, everyone, their eyes taken out. There's like a big old goggle put there. They're, you know, they've got a big claw hand or you know, the Ejectus Mechanicus guys. With their weird legs and their mechadendrites and their <laughs> yeah their things. their croaky voice boxes and but also and, the servitors yeah. who are people basically who have their get lobotomized and turned into techno zombies and that's one of the things that I think we can see people genuinely thinking of now because there is an idea that technology is going to essentially eventually eradicate um, class mobility mm. because there are people who are going to have access to transhuman technology yeah and people who do not have access to transhuman technology yeah and i mean 
it's it's definitely yeah because obviously you've got the idea of like using um using the blood of of either your clone or one of your children essentially to to use as a way of filtering your own blood to give you longer life so there's the right. juvenates um but then similarly um we've got the the whole horrifically named and I mean, it's not horrifically named, but it's the only—it's the name that makes sense. We've got, I think, uh, I think it's called Necro—it's called Necromechanics. I think, it's, yeah, it's definitely <sighs> called Necromechanics. So this is to do with the fact that they—why does a spider, when it dies, um, shrivel up the way it does, where its claw, yeah, you know, its legs, yeah, yeah, its legs, and it's because it dries out because internally all of its motion is just the pumping of fluids. So then they were able to go, well, what if we put a syringe into it and then we pump fluid back in? You now have a necrobotic grabby claw, which... Yes, I remember this, which you can use for very small and delicate things. Like electronics and so forth. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's that's the start of, well, at what point are you then just utilising brain-dead humans, you know, Right. That have also been grafted further technology onto them to do particular tasks because for some reason, I'm sure we'll understand why, you need that gooey bit in between that bit of tech and that bit of tech. You know, that might be some buzzsaw cutting thing, that might be some arc welding thing, but in between, you still need to have the gooey bit, the human bit, because to make that fully synthetic for whatever reason is difficult or I think more than likely expensive. Yeah, I mean, I, one of the most nightmarish ideas from the Inquisitor era, um, which is kind of like this, is the Chrono Gladiator. Yeah, yeah. So that's a guy, for those of you listening at home, because obviously Chris knows this, um, the Chrono Gladiator is a guy who has a timer attached to him. He's a big cyborg with claws for hands, and he's got a flamethrower on one of his claws, and they look like JCBs. And he essentially, the timer, if it counts down to zero, he dies. Yeah. But he can reset it by performing an act of violence. Yeah. It's... So he's got to perform an act of violence every couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, I think they're in, they are in the Wrath and, Glo- Wrath and Glory core book. I pretty Oh, really? Certain. Yeah. Uh, I don't have it on me. Yeah, but yeah, they're definitely definitely there as an antagonist. Um, um, but yeah, I, I think I think alt- one of the things which I think as we we talk more and more about the the body horror aspects and how people are reused is that there is there's this kind of like and you know because of, because of the nature of the god emperor being this corpse god, yeah, um, there's almost this. I think the whole interaction between faith law and order and industry in 40k is what makes its imperial horror what it is because on the one hand the body is like the the the, the human is the most holy thing going because the emperor mm. was human the, and and humans are destined to be you know like the emperor if they can get there ever and so on the one hand it shouldn't be corrupted by external influence but on the other hand it shouldn't be ever wasted yes so it's it's both it, uh, the same it's it's always it's almost like the body the human body is is holy at, at every stage of where it could be used whether it's been used as psychic fuel for the emperor or turned into corpse starch or is that little digit that you wear as a trinket that wards off you know some type of demons or yes. 
yeah, I think is that the imperial horror that the human body is both holy but also the ultimate like raw you know raw resource used? Yeah, I think it's simply the fact. I mean, you're talking about the wastefulness of it, aren't you? The fact that yeah. they kind of waste human lives at a ridiculous rate, while at the same time claiming that the human race is so completely um sacrosanct that you couldn't make um a computer in a human's image yes which is a concept nicked from dune but of course yeah yeah but which is still nonetheless um something that they do the fact and i mean this is not unlike oh it's not a contradiction that's the point i wanted to make actually it's not a contradiction that wastefulness going against like the holiness of the human form is the same sort of apparent contradiction which is not a contradiction as for example the american religious rights insistence that abortion should never happen but complete failure to support children who are alive yeah which amounts to and the reason that's not pe- people don't realize that that's not a contradiction. People are always going. People who aren't part of that world don't recognize don't recognize it as making sense, yeah. right? But if you are part of a religious group that actually believes that all human beings are fundamentally sinful and damned after they're born, yes, then of course they don't care about living children. Yeah. Um, because 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 the only way to redeem your soul is through doing good works and obviously you know anyone who's poor is already damned actually no you can't redeem your soul through doing good works Ah. evangelical belief is that you can only redeem your soul by accepting jesus into your heart oh right okay so it's just and god only saves those who jesus Jesus only died to save the sins of those people who chose to follow God. So it doesn't matter what you do, as long as you say you accept Jesus. Yeah, if you accept Jesus, then you don't burn in hell. Yeah. But you have to do that as a grown-up. You've got to do that when you're like old enough to be responsible. Yeah. I mean, as that's someone who that's... was basically got by the evangelicals when I was a teenager. Yeah. Um. I can now see how abusive it is. It's, it feeds on self-loathing. It feeds on a view of people as fundamentally bad. If we draw this back, this very heavy conversation, back to the actual point of what we're talking about, which is games involving pushing inch-tall plastic models around. Or um, role-playing. <laughs> role-playing poor occupants of these worlds. Or, 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 or indeed... Yeah let's pretend games involving multi-sided dice yes. um you have the setting of the warhammer imperium and you have that wastefulness and the wastefulness is necessary for the production of a perfect form of human which of course can never happen because the perfect human is rotting on that big chair over there yeah so you have a system that allows itself to contradict itself because of the way in which the theology works. 
and I don't I mean obviously the people who write Warhammer games don't have like experience in studying theology generally right but some of the better examples of them are actually able to recognize how these people behave and recognize that these things can go in tension with each other. And I think if someone were actually to do some deep lore and write the theology of um, of the Imperium, they could find workarounds. Yeah, They'd find fundamentally underlying points that would justify blowing up a planet if there's a couple of aliens there that haven't been murdered, you know? It, it, it and and that is the horror of it, and that horror of it is the more horrible because we are watching it happen in real time around us. Yeah. Which, and that's why Warhammer's horror is the best when it is actually satirical. Yes, I mean, yeah, because when it's when it's characters, when it's when it's characters in the fiction who are performing some of the most you know heinous acts, but you find, but through the 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 narrative you realize that the reasoning is for like really obscure farcical reasons why they've gone and that's why we're going to destroy yeah. this planet and that's you know, and it all comes it becomes it's it's black comedy like this is why this has occurred this is because of an accounting error this is because of of just this single alien flower that grows there and they thought we'll destroy that planet because it's been tainted by chaos because of that flower or um yeah and it's it's farcical because i mean uh you can if you want to see the the classic there's a classic the the classic scene in babylon 5 where um uh where veer is explained to by um by londo about why about how the how the castle works and why they can get away with certain things is because you know there are rules that people forget they they they're even the the reason for why those rules occurred in the first place yes and that was because what well, the example was a, a princess wanted to protect the first flower that had grown up, grown out of the snow after the winter. And for that same reasoning, you can see how the Imperium could have these horrific laws and rituals and 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 uh, tithes. No one really understands, or no one understands, but no one's required to understand why these things even came about. So long, and they, their belief is, so long as they do it, then. They're going. They're doing the things required of the the emperor, and because they have faith in the emperor, then their soul is ultimately going to be, you know, saved. And in the end, you know, and and, and that, I think that is also part of it because once again, um, your religious right in America, you know, <laughs> won't allow people to abort babies, but at the same won't allow people to abort pregnancies, but don't believe in supporting people with actual babies. Yeah. A lot of those people don't have that theological background. No. They just sort of accept it blindly. And that blind acceptance, I think, is something that we probably have only touched on at that point. The fact that people just sort of take this shit on red. Yeah. And uh, I think this also comes back to something which I briefly touched on. is that that blind acceptance within the 40k universe, within the Imperium, is... There's definitely you can see with because you have the imperial creed, but you had before that you had the imperial truth, which did not have the emperor as a god, and that change in the in the theology uh, philosophy to a theology in the imperium 
as much as it's hideous, I, I wonder how much of that is in the setting is, is understood by inquisitors, by certain groups of inquisitors who are willing to understand these, is meant to be a sort of, is there firewall against chaos? Because it's that whole thing of like too much knowledge, idle hands, do the devil's work. The mm. moment you have a, a society that has machines doing all the work for them, that's able to be decadent and, and not engage in war, they're the open portal for demons to invade into the world. So that's that's kind of the I think is possibly with 40k is the the unfortunate like that's that's the that's that's the punchline is that if they if it it maybe that's the punchline is the if the Imperium wasn't as horrific that it is, chaos would have already like infiltrated and taken over people. No, I think that's their narrative. That's their narrative. I think yeah? the horror is actually that they're doing it wrong. <laughs> the horror is they're doing it wrong yeah the horror is is that they're just making it worse yes because it's a slow decline yeah yeah they chose they chose because isn't it something like apparently like you could have they could either gone one way which is it would have been the fast bang horus heresy earth would have been obliterated that's it emperor would have been a chaos god because he would have had to have used so much power to defeat horus versus the slow burnout of the imperium that it is and what's the alternative route they could have chosen? I don't know. Um, but maybe that's that's the maybe that's something you can try and like explore with your inquisitorial cadres and and adeptus mechanicus kind of covenants in Imperium Maledictus. Look at like yeah, cults the cults who are th- philosophical theological cults who think there could have been a better way but they can't agree what that better way is. And can they get, I mean, would it have been becoming like the Eldari? Would it have been like going very, I don't know, Vulcan style and, you know, removing emotion? I mean, that's a very stale world. The alternative is getting rid of the human body altogether and and not being corruptible in that way, but that leads you down well, the route the of Necrons. Well, the stilts are fun. <laughs> yeah. Or, or you go down the route of Necrons and then you just, what are you then? Um, yeah. Well, that's a big question. The Imperium well, I mean, did it the wrong way. So what is the, what's the potential right way they could have done it? That's a big question for listeners. Yeah, to, but I mean, I, mean, I think home. it is important to realise that the Imperium are not doing it the right way. Oh, yeah. And that this is not the way to do it. Because one of the biggest problems, and again, again, real talk, and I'm going to harsh your mellow here. <laughs> one of the biggest problems in Warhammer fandom... Yeah is people who think that the Imperium in Warhammer is how you run a government. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Where's, where, where, tell me where I'm wrong. You know, <laughs> let, let's, <sighs> let's be honest. You know, we, we know these guys. There's that guy who turned up, he turned, turned, up, to, uh, turned up to a Spanish game event um, yeah, yeah, with a set yeah. of Space Marines and his, no Imperial Guard. I forget what it was. Black but he, Templars. It's always Black Templars. Black Templars are always like uh, the uh, poster boys of fascists. Yeah, yeah. And, and you've got to go, well, no, they're doing it wrong. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, I, I've lost count of the number of times I've seen a variation of the Michelin web meme attached to Imperial yeah. Guards or Space Marines, sort of like photoshopped onto Space Marines. Hands are we the baddies? Um, well, let me tell you, yes, they're the baddies. They are, yeah, they are. It's it's interesting because I always, I mean, 
I feel like also back in the day of like something like second edition 40k, I feel the El- the Craftworld Eldar at the time were portrayed a bit again had kind of the same issues as Tau. Originally. They were the most sympathetic, even yeah. in because um, because the Craftworld Eldar lore and the Aspect Warriors appear towards the end of the Rogue Trader run. Yeah, and they made the craft world Eldar, and of course they didn't have Drukari then, or Dark yeah. Eldar as they were initially. Uh, Dark Eldar, yeah, right. Um, they basically made them the most sympathetic faction. Yeah, but they really aren't. I, I mean, I mean, you can put, when we talked about how Inquisitors and 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 the Imperium is happy to perform exterminatus to prevent even worse things happening to the Imperium, or at least in their viewpoint. The Eldaria also more just as capable of, of doing that because they they use their their psychic abilities to see their cognitive precog abilities to go, oh if we destroy that world, if we destroy those people, we'll save one elder life of some craft world Eldar somewhere. And it's like that in its own right is is also completely mad. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're just they're I think fundamentally most of the scariest factions in Warhammer generally, and I think in the fantasy version too, are basically ends justifies the means. Yes. Um, because it's it's interesting because essentially they they've basically made the Age of Sigmar more like in conception 40k, mm. in that Sigmar is basically the emperor, although he's a little bit more hands on. Yeah. The Stormcast Eternal is basically every time they come back from the dead, every time, and every time worse. they come back from the dead, they're a bit worse. Yeah, I um, love Stormcast for that. I I do really like how they're they're like that. Um, I mean, because yeah, it represents an because when they when we first saw Stormcast, they were a bit too shiny and nice. Um, but that also, I think, separately, I mean, Age of Sigmar. There's definitely a, a, a narrative that's gone through from the very first instance of it to where we are now, where we're seeing it, that yeah, that um, we're seeing society trying to reclaim place you know land within what is a a post-apocalyptic magical realms um yeah but it is the same sort of plot points that the the stormcast are willing to go to horrific lengths to root out chaos corruption by obliterating entire tribes of people in whichever realm they're in and likewise those people in those realms we can see are because they were abandoned by the emperor, uh, by by I say the emperor by by Sigma, um, are also open to being to creating cults and therefore venerating forgotten gods, which are just simply a face for chaos. So you one of my favourite things about the Sigma lore of the Warcry Warbands, yeah, who are all basically sort of cultists. who are all basically chaos cultists, but they've all got exactly. different kind of themes. So um, some of them, the spider ones are cool my favorite are the ones whose entire cult involves initiation involves tearing their own faces off and wearing them as belts uh, the, uh, the, unmade. the unmade yeah my favorite i i really like the cypher lords because they come from the realm of light and that just seems so that just seems it just seems great to think of there are chaos cults in the realm of light yeah they're, they're like everywhere um yeah. and it's yeah it's it's I, I I do like. I mean, I think the Age of Sigmar does allow for more heroic characters. It 
does. It allows for more heroic individuals. It does. Um, I think it, it definitely has more light at the end of the tunnel rather than... And that tunnel might be very long and go through very deep pits of bodies that have been piled high versus 40k, which is very much a, you know, it is that everything's bad and it's just how much... how how Can you get a brief respite along that road to ultimate destruction? I think part of that is the fact that 40k's got itself into position where it's a setting that's 30 years old. Yeah. And... It can't go anywhere from that now. Age of Sigma started having a storyline, and each successive edition, and each success, you know, they have the edition, and then towards the end of the editions, they'll have a set of books to move the plot on. And currently, they're nearing the end of third with the yeah. books that move the plot on. Um, but so, like, the second edition was about the Soul Wars. So they introduced the night haunts and the ghosts and things. And this time it's about the realm of beasts and there's some stuff going on there. It, I think the main thing which has cropped up, I think with, with, with age of Sigma where it is, is the fact that we're getting a lot more other beings that are vying for the kind of thrones of the chaos gods. It's obviously Slanesh has been turned into the twins and kind of, and is still chained up. You've also got Bellacor's grand plans, which I love Bellacor in Age of Sigmar is such an old bastard. But I, I mean, I, I, like, I like the Slanesh as, as, as a lifelong Slanesh player. <laughs> um, you know, if, imagine it's 1988. You don't really know what genderqueer is, right? Yeah. But you are. And then you get hold of a copy of Realm of Chaos, Slaves to Darkness, and find an entire faction who are non-binary. Yeah. Never mind that they're completely evil. It doesn't matter, because you're just like, they're going, oh my god, something just awakened in me. Mm-hmm. And that's how you end up with a Slanesh army 35 years later. <laughs> On that point, I think we're going to wrap up. I think we have to, because we could just talk we're, for hours. Sorry. I no, it's good. I mean... Um, <laughs> It's, I think what the point, I think the ultimate take home I'm going to round up is that I think Good. what we've discussed is that I think it gives you, I think it should give player, uh, GMs for for Wrath and Glory, but I think definitely Imperial Maledictum, Age of Sigma, and um, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, some insight into both how they can they can create interesting societies around the relevant faiths in those games and yes. how cults actually operate and how in the world around us there is plenty of inspiration and and information out there to work out how and why cults like the and societies like these can operate and operate quite happily with no one batting an eyelid because that's just how indoctrinated people are into it. But then also the the plot fodder is, especially for um, for forty k, is the fact that there are there is definitely there, there is definitely other ways that things could other directions things could have gone, and that is definitely a point of contention and thus. Um, flashpoint for conflict between inquisitors or inquisitors and whatever you know whatever yeah. parts of society um or even just poor imperial guardsmen who are just sick of it all like i mean because... they just get given a brown uniform and put in front of an alien ho- horde there you go have a las gun <laughs> 
<laughs> I, 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 which I think was pretty much what happened to, happened to me when I played in your um, Wrath and Glory game. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty in much the previous that. episodes. Um, um, and yeah, we'll leave it there. I think we'll we'll come up with some. We'll, we'll obviously have to get you back for discussion. Maybe <laughs> maybe really ranty ranty off the wall discussions about war games in general, um, like what you're making and what you what you've been playing and your opinions on where souls are. Because uh, we're all grogs and frothing fans of various things. Uh, and then we'll figure out a different topic. I'm sure, actually, I think, yeah, we'll have to talk about Drakari again um, and to, how to roll and how you can get some good role play out of that. Because we've covered the lore, and the lore is a, there's good stuff, but it's a bit thin in places. But I think this sort of discussion also helps kind of like yeah. people get ideas. Right. Uh, if people want to get in contact give opinions tell us why we're right or wrong uh you can find us we're right yeah (laughs) at gmail.com you can find us on instagram and threads and uh facebook and you can find our discord i'm just not gonna bother with x um and uh yeah it's just not fucking worth the effort um and then sean um they can find they can find your work where um i have a patreon i can uh, give you the link that you can put in the show notes that'll be in the show notes um, and um i'm on blue sky as cool. well yeah um, we're on blue yeah blue sky's good again uh, and again i'll give you the link for the show notes and um you have an instagram for your cool minis oh yeah so um my mini painting enterprises they're not that cool they're sort of coolish um my mini painting Instagram is Sean from Atlantis. Excellent. At Instagram, um, which I yeah, and my my Inquisitor fifty four project continues there. Brilliant. Cool. Well, that's us done for this episode. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna have to. I think at some point we're also gonna be talking about uh, Kemri because Kemri is obviously a great role play destination for Warhammer Fantasy role play. Love a tomb king. Uh, yeah. Tomb diving, um, that'll be fun. Um, and we're going to be starting our three-part series on Dark Days Radio. So we're going to be doing uh, intro into character generation and then streaming the game and then our final review of a game. And we'll be doing a series of games. I think we're starting with like Imperium Maledictum. We're going to do Cult and a few other things. So that's cool. just because we're going to try and move our way ourselves away from World of Darkness content because that's kind of like we've, we're a bit exhausted from it. Um, Don't blame you. Yeah. So that's it for now. Uh, again, Sean, thank you for no, thank coming you for on, chatting about this. <laughs> you could you could make you could write an entire thesis out of this topic. Um, you yeah, could. you could. Uh, and thank you for everyone to listen for listening. And we'll uh, speak to you again soon. So goodbye for now. Bye now.